Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network and our flagship show, Success in Accounting. We have been doing a series of panels with successful, prominent female leaders in the accounting and fintech world. We are breaking those up after seven to do another seven later on and breaking them up with Dan Stanley, author of Redefining Masculinity. Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. It's great to be here. Thank you. Dan, we've just done an episode already. We're going full on with this second one. And in that one, we summed up why we're talking about masculinity right now. Yes, women, diversity, it's all on the agenda. Yeah. But it's not like men have it all together. We're all contending with something. Can you just sum up for us very quickly the five challenges you felt men have in the current world, particularly to our audience that are very professional and career-driven and why it's a problem. So just recap those for us. Thank you. So the gender conditioning that we receive in our formative years and adolescence is very much around needing to prove our worth through our work. And as a result of that, a lot of men attach a significant proportion of their identity to, to what they do in a professional context. The outcome of that, uh, when you couple that with what I call a myth of masculinity, the belief that professional success will equal personal happiness, means that a lot of men, perhaps without realising it, are workaholics. They will, and that's the first challenge, workaholism and burnout. You know, depending on what data you look like, look, look at, Rob, somewhere between 25 and 45% of people report that they've either burned themselves out in the past or they feel like they're heading towards burnout now. Because people are overworking and underliving, and it's kind of almost permissible from a family unit perspective that people will be on their emails and checking their phones, taking laptops on holiday and working at weekends. And it's a badge of honour, Dan, isn't it? To say, I'm really busy, uh, my email's full, my voicemail box is full, I've got so much to do, everybody wants a piece of me. Yeah, that's true. You know, a badge of busyness like first in last out of the office like despite us all knowing that it's it's a fundamentally flawed concept still still happens and still exists uh, and equally what happens now outlook gives you the, the 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 ability to only send emails during working hours so it'd be naive to say that people switch off and don't work in the evenings uh, and then schedule their emails to go out at more reasonable times but uh so the first point is work holiday and burnout well the second is because we're too busy with our world of work we just don't invest or we don't have the time to maintain the quality of our friendships or build new friendships it's particularly in the second half of our lives as a result we end up lonely the third challenge that i spoke about was around poor mental health and despite it still being a taboo subject there is still there's still a lot of work to be done here uh, and, I, and i don't really feel though it's it's from a lack of trying. I think a lot of people are trying to reach men, but there's a part of men either through the people that aren't reaching out, not being able to perhaps feel safe to, to share and to discuss what's really going on. But the reality is that when life gives us a challenge or there's a, in a book, I call it a life quake, whether that is a loss of a job, a bereavement of a family member, uh, war in Europe or a, a pandemic or something of that nature, when life gives us a shake, um, and people don't have a close support network, there's a high likelihood that they'll experience either anxiety or fear of the future, or they'll be forced to recognize where we're at now, and it'll cause a state of apathy, perhaps depression. If we don't deal with these things, uh, and then we we kind of slip subtly into middle age, and we don't recognize that kind of what got us here won't get us there, uh, there's a high probability there'll be some kind of midlife crisis or identity crisis like I experienced. Uh, and lastly, if we don't manage all of these challenges with some measure of success uh, and some collaboration or cooperation with, with the people closest to us, it can result in, in divorce. 
And when we look at statistics, most recently around divorce, there's 122% uplift in divorce inquiries post-pandemic. And people are, are kind of looking at their marriages and relationships, recognizing that, you know, once you get past uh, the, the practicalities of raising children and paying bills, you know, there's a real sense of marital drift. Uh, and the average age of divorce nowadays is 46 to 49 which probably for a lot of the people listening to this podcast, regardless of the health and state of their marriage, you know, that is a time where after probably two decades of working hard to create the financial stability in a family unit, then to have that taken away through divorce means that many people, many men and women feel like they have to start again. I've had some stats on divorce as well, that the average length of a marriage or divorce is 17 to 19 years. And if you think about it, that's when the kids have grown up, they've moved on a little bit and you are left there with your wife as men to say, right, well, what binds us now? And just going back to the isolation thing, I do a few talks for churches. I'm a committed Christian. That's on the record about men and why they don't have best friends. And I did one about 18 months ago, Dan, to a local church. It's about 40 men there. And the women's groups in churches are very vibrant because they chat and they socialize and men's groups are a little bit different in their makeup. And I did a talk about how men are struggling, but they don't necessarily have a best friend. They don't have people they can talk to. The best friends of a man is often the husbands and partners of their wives and their girlfriends. So a week and a half later, one of the men at the church committed suicide. And you say in your book how this is a big uh, it's the biggest cause of death for men under 40, under 50. So we know that that's going on. And it turns out his wife was having an affair. He had a network. We know he had a network because I'd go out cycling with him. And he was a teacher in a school, so he talked to people there. But it must have been only on a certain level. And it just obviously got too much for him. He left two teenage daughters. There was nobody he was turning to and confiding in this. And it led to a lot of the problems that you're acknowledging here. Yeah, I'm really sorry to and saddened to hear that, Bob. And it's a painful story, and one no doubt that affected your, your church community. Well, to be just a week and a half after my talk as well, he wasn't at my talk. He perhaps should have been, but he was isolated. Just as you say, he would have been perhaps lonely. People would have looked at his life and think, well, he knows loads of people. He's going out. He's active. He's looking busy. He seems socially sorted. He's got a great wife and kids. But it's what goes on underneath the surface. And, 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 and that is exactly what it's all about, is it's you know, an acknowledgement of the discomfort that we might be feeling in our lives and then having a place where we feel able to communicate and then express it. I, I have a real issue, Rob, with the, the term vulnerability. You know, everyone's encouraging men to be vulnerable, but I don't, I don't really feel that any man would want to feel vulnerable in a sense of being exposed where if we're looking at being more expressive just talking about the things that make us human those feelings and those emotions and, and doing that in a, in a space where we won't feel judged uh, where we won't feel as if someone's going to try to fix us or just make things better you know just being heard is, is really really powerful and uh, you're right the, the isolation that men create because of a sense of shame or embarrassment or inadequacy kind of then amplifies what it is that they're experiencing and, and, and that's why in 2019, kind of when I was most definitely turned the corner in my own my kind of midlife crisis and kind of stepping forward and, and being a champion of, of, of men, um, I stepped away from a lot of WhatsApp groups that I was a part of because a lot of the, the, the talk and conversation was, was risque at best. Um, at worst, it was probably, you know, it was just inappropriate. So I, I left a lot of WhatsApp groups. I couldn't be bothered with the, the ski trip, the, the golf, uh, the, the, the sporting context. And uh, and in my in my action, I didn't anticipate this, but I realized that I was lonely. My phone stopped ringing. I stopped getting social invites. And uh, instead of turning away from the discomfort of my own loneliness, I, I thought I'd take it on and lean into it. And uh, I started a men's walking group, um, started with, I think, three or four friends on the first walk. 
people who I felt had values that were, were similar to mine. Um, and uh, I made the assumption they were good men, not just the public persona that I saw, but actually at the core, they were good men. And we went for a walk and a talk on a wet, windy day in South Wales. And uh, the, the quality of the conversation, the, the depth, also the humour uh, and the pint afterwards were, was really fantastic. So uh, I kind of took it on. And, and now, kind of three years later, there's about 380 men in a, in a community called Men and Mountains. There's no cost, there's no commitment. Uh, at the minute, it's facilitated through a WhatsApp group, which sometimes gets busy because there's lots of topics of conversation. But it, but it is, it's a space for men to, not just to walk, Bob, but to share what's really going on. And the, to give some context to that, the last walk that we did kind of two Sundays ago, uh, nine miles, beautiful part of the the, the southeast and Bracken Beacons. Um, the topic of conversation, because of the proximity toward the end of the year, was what what is a challenge that you feel or know you need to lean into before the end of the year? Um, a lot of these guys, was, I think there's 42 guys on that particular walk. A lot of these guys didn't know each other, but then because of the environment which had been created, not just through me, but for the other men in the group, um, to hear the, the quality the, the depth and the, the honesty of the conversation talking about states of marriages, kind of t- issues in leadership, leading their teams, sibling uh, differences, kind of people are acknowledging and what we spoke about in our original recording around awareness. There's an awareness around the things that they needed to lean into to take those challenges on, because if they didn't, they would just kind of, again, run into 2023 and they just kind of keep existing in this space where it was slightly uncomfortable, but they weren't willing to take it on. Life, as I hit my mid-50s now, is a series of seasons and recalibrations. My father was an ex-Royal Marine commander. So you know that world. That's where you came from. He was invalided out with a climbing accident in the Antarctic and he couldn't really come to terms with civilian life. And he tend to drink. And I'm on the record as having an alcoholic father and changed my name and moved away from that. And he became an anti-role model for me in that I'm a father now and essentially have done a lot of things that he didn't. I did the opposite of what he did to be a better father. But the generational influence, the fatherly influence, the peer influence, there's a lot of men having their lives spoken into. Screens is a scourge of the modern world. Social media, as you hint at, and that shame. So there's all these things going on in men's heads and a call for some kind of recalibration as we come out of the pandemic and we're asking, what is success? What does my life look like? What do I want my life to be? Talk to us about a, a new future and redefining masculinity and what men should be thinking about in terms of success. Yep, I think the social constructs of success and masculinity are, are shifting uh, simultaneously. Um, I, I think that kind of what previous generations of men did uh, wasn't wrong. It just doesn't fit into the, the world in which we live today. Uh, and uh, as you rightly put, Rob, in the wake of the pandemic, war in Europe, um, kind of the, the the prominence, the significant prominence now of social media and the impact that that's having all around the world. You know, I think there's a real shift in 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 Monday masculinity. Uh, and men of previous generations, for them, their priority in many senses was was work. They proved their worth for the work. They provided for their families. And the expectation of a man was that he just provided protect for his family. And the trappings that go with that. Trappings. What a great word. Exactly that. You know, either salary, shackled by our salaries or we're trapped in the, the world that we create. The car, the house, the holiday, the social outworkings of that success at work. Yeah, that was our validity, wasn't it? That was our affirmation. That was the benchmark or the yardstick of successful masculinity. You know, and many years ago, it was as simple as keeping up with the Joneses, the people that are in your immediate vicinity, your community where you lived. Now through social media, 
that we're compelled to compare ourselves to other men. Um, and that means in many respects, Rob, and I, I genuinely I genuinely believe this because of the conversations I have with men that trust me to help them live better lives, is that we take the things that we used to see as luxurious now as necessities and we take them for granted. You know, and a lot of people kind of get to a stage of their life where they transition through those stages I spoke about earlier, where they go from being asleep to aware. Uh, and in their awareness, they feel as though they're trapped between a rock and a hard place. Like, I can't change my job because if I was to change my job or my career or my my seniority, then there would be a financial loss, which means it would affect my family. That's admitting failure in a way, Dan, isn't it? I, I'd much rather admit failure in, in a moment of realisation, Rob, rather than kind of get to a stage of life where uh, late 50s and 60s and look back feeling as though there's a life full of regret and missed opportunity. How do we go about redefining success for men? You talk a lot in your book about purpose and fulfilment and legacy. Where does that get us? Uh, I think it was author uh, David Brooks. He spoke about, this was a book in the 80s. He spoke about there have been two mountains in a man's life. The first mountain is built around success, uh, status, money, and power. Uh, and the second mountain is around happiness, purpose, and fulfillment. Uh, and unfortunately, what happens for a lot of men is they don't realize that when their life kind of comes to that juncture, those crossroads, uh, and they just keep doing repetitions up and down the first mountain, which is incredibly tiring. Um, so in Rethinking Masculinity, um, it's available on my website. It's also available on Amazon. In the book, I talk about our need to, at the at the, the foundation of who we are, we need to prioritize ourselves. And that's not necessarily for egoic or for selfish reasons. But if we're constantly tired, we're constantly stressed, we're constantly unavailable for ourselves and our family members, no one's going to get a good or better version of, of who we're capable of being. We're playing below our potential. So we need to prioritize ourselves. On top of that, instead of fitting in work and friendships, uh, instead of fitting friendships and relationships in around work, we need to prioritize them up. So we need to make sure that we are fit for purpose in ourselves, that we're, we're fit, we're healthy, we're well, we're clear, we're purposeful. On top of that, we need to invest our time, which is our most valuable commodity, into our friendships and relationships. On top of that, if we look at this as a pyramid, the third level is about using our financial resources, the ones that we've worked hard to achieve, using those resources to create memories and experiences that we'll never forget. Things that are cohesive in our family, holidays, experiences, unique opportunities. And then at the very top of that pyramid, what I talk about is just maintaining our professional success. Not necessarily not being ambitious or not going for promotion or a pay rise or progressing our businesses, but recognizing that every time that we take a step more towards our professional careers, the reality is we might be moving away from our personal lives. And it comes at a cost. And we get to a stage of lives, particularly when we've we've kind of climbed that first mountain, where we need to rethink what we want in our second half of our lives. Stephen Covey in his seminal book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talks about the corporate race and climbing up the ladder of success only to find that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And there's that sense that we embark down this career and get to the top and we think, what now? Yeah, something costs. Like uh, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, International Men's Day, uh, I one of the, the speaking engagements I had was for the Cardiff and District Law Society. I live in South Wales, so it's kind of local. And uh, we're talking about the the significance of being a lawyer, being a solicitor, being a barrister. Or an accountant. Or an accountant, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, in this context, it was law. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some symmetries between the, those those professions. You know, that when people say, or, or almost people introduce us as, or, Dan, oh, this is Dan. He's a lawyer. Oh, that's Rob. He's a he's a he's a he's an accountant. I know you're not, but the the reality is that people introduce us by our professions. So we have such a strong sense of our identity caught up in what we do in our work, uh, and 
when we maybe get to a second half of our lives, and ultimately that's what a lot of my clients do, they there's a realization that what they've been doing isn't working for them now in the moment, uh, and it won't work for them in the future. So they choose to to become leaders of themselves. Uh, and what I mean by that statement, Robin, is, is, is chapter seven of my book is titled Self-Leadership, is that, you know, as far as we know, there's no leadership gene. There's definitely no instruction manual. Um, almost everybody, because the conditioning we spoke about in the in the original or the, the first recording, uh, is that we're all thinking about how we can lead and show up for everyone else. Um, and therefore, we don't think about how we lead and, and our own needs and our own priorities. So the, the way I define self-leadership is intentionally, so in advance, intentionally implementing our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions in the pursuit of our goals. So when we get to a stage of our lives where what we've got, despite having lots of things, societal success symbols, the trappings you talk, you spoke about earlier, having all of those things, if they're not what we need, then we need to really, really drill into what is it that we feel we're lacking. And if it's a sense of pride, a sense of purpose, a sense of connection, a sense of health and happiness and perhaps liberty, then we need to lead ourselves in a pursuit of those things. There's a great quote by John Maxwell, US leadership guru. He says, say no to the good so you can say yes to the great. And there's a lot of discipline required in saying no. I'm fond of the the approach where if you show me your credit card statement and your calendar, I will tell you what's important in your life. You talk about very being very intentional with your choices, but your credit card statement will tell me what you put in your money and your calendar will tell me what you put in your time. And as much as you can claim that you're getting life sorted, those will find you out, won't they? So you've got to be really intentional with where you choose to invest all of your resources. That's what it means to be a better man. For me, there's three parts to being a better man. It's firstly, it's an awareness. You have a high level of awareness around what's important to you. Secondly, you have the capacity to live your life with a deliberate sense of purpose. Uh, and thirdly, that you are emotionally expressive. You're connected to yourself and others. Uh, and, and that's for me what it means to be a better man. Um, yeah, it's uh, Stephen Covey and Bob Proctor. These are the, like the grandfathers of personal development. And the reality is that the messages perhaps haven't haven't changed over all of the years. Uh, and it's maybe it's, it's it's a sad a sad reflection that maybe people just haven't chose to listen. They've they've stayed in the the the, the, the comfort of the the current lives and existences. But the reality is that that comfort that they experience is probably false because there's nothing comfortable about a comfortable zone. It's just familiar, and, and people. People have a reluctance to change because of fear of giving up what they know and stepping into the uncertainty of what they could have instead. What's clear from the leaders I talk to, men and women, Dan, is that in the post-pandemic world, where mental fragility is more of a thing, mental health is more talked about, there is a need for a new style of leadership. And it's where women perhaps do excel because they're more empathetic, but a more compassionate approach, a more vulnerable approach, an approach that's more honest and saying, I don't have all the answers. Now, that's not a game men play well. Women tend to play it better because they're used to talking and admitting things more and saying they don't have all the answers. But for a man to do that, it, it's not comfortable, is it? No, it's not because it wasn't modeled. You know, I, I really feel as though that men now and are classes as, as, as part of the same generation in this sense, Rob, is that we have a duty and a responsibility because we, we are pioneering masculinity. You know, there's such a shift from the early 2000s in the digitally connected world that we live in, the way that the world's got so much smaller. People now, you know, people had jobs for life. You know, maybe our fathers or different generations had jobs for life. We have careers now. We can change things at will. Uh, there's such a, as we spoke about, that compulsion to compare and to collect societal success symbols. Uh, and if we don't get this right, then we just pass it on to the next generation. Uh, and that doesn't just happen at home. It happens in work. And um, that the leaders today, you know, particularly men, there's... Everyone realizes and understands the importance of emotional intelligence, but yet there's still a barrier. There's a, a mental barrier for a lot of men to really to share and lean into that emotional intelligence. And, and the barrier for me, Rob, is, is fear. It's fear because 
like if we don't have a real healthy relationship with ourselves, we have some some insecurities, some imposter syndrome, some self-denial, or we have kind of some blind spots that we're not aware of because of a lack of awareness, then we can't show up in our fullest capacity as a leader. Let me take you off piece a little bit, Dan. As we record this, the World Cup is going on in Qatar. There's a prominence for LGBTQ, expressing ourselves, being true to ourselves. For the people in those communities, does it change what it means to be a man if you're gay? Does it change the disorientation, this identity? Talk to us about that a little bit as you see it. I, I think the world is probably harder for, for a gay man or bisexual man. You know, already maybe for, you know, we just forgot the playground uh, and uh, how that can be a, a really complex environment where we're expected to fit in with, with social norms. Uh, and then to feel like we have to hide parts of ourselves to stay safe, uh, I think is is extremely damaging to one's self-esteem. Um, but regardless of social issue, whether it's um, like you're talking about the World Cup now or it's Black Lives Matter or whatever it might be, I think what is important is that I think what is wrong is that whoever shouts the loudest gets listened to which I think is systemically wrong. Uh, maybe it's a reflection of the way that the media sensationalizes lots of these subjects and topics. But I think what is important is that we we we, we make it, we we create a world through leading ourselves and being the change where everyone feels safe to have a voice. I'm going to ask you to finish off, Dan, with a call to action to two groups. The first will be the younger generation coming through that have perhaps not had masculinity modeled properly and are taking their cues from the social media and the screens and the world that they're looking at and they're trying to be woke but they're also trying to get themselves sorted so they will be in their teens and 20s and maybe even 30s just like yourself but they want to set good foundations now and then the second message will be perhaps to my generation 50s 60s uh, the men that have emerged from marriage maybe on the other side of divorce but perhaps whose kids are grown up they still have an influential role to play they still have a message to give the younger generation in modeling that and they still have to get their own life sorted because they'll be in what's called the pivot generation. They've got young or teenage children. They're probably at the height of their earning in terms of work. They're looking after elderly relatives. They're managing a relationship or a number of relationships and maybe even going through tough times in their marriage. So some words of advice to them as well. So the younger and the older, what would you say to round things up for us? Same message, Bob, to both groups. Um, and is it life is not a rehearsal. We know that life's destination is death. And that every day that we we squander or that we waste is a day that we'll never get back. Uh, having over the last couple of, couple of years uh, buried three, four, four men that were significant to me. Two of them, perhaps taken earlier than we expected through 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 cancer. Uh, and my father-in-law with a heart attack, and then a couple of men uh, of later age. You know, one day somebody is going to be sat at your funeral listening to your eulogy. Um, and whether you're the, the younger group that you just mentioned or the, the, the older group, Bob, you know, what do you want to hear said at your funeral? What is the message? What are the words? What is the sentiment? What is the feeling that you want people to feel? This speaks to legacy, doesn't it, Dan? You talk a lot about legacy. Yeah, yeah. And legacy, Bob, isn't you know, isn't a house deposit or a first car or a, a lump sum when you when you depart this world. Legacy is about how you make people feel uh, and passing over those qualities and values that you think are important for somebody. And whether that is because they're they're part of your family or they're in your team or your business, you know, what will you be remembered for? That is what I'd like to impart with anybody that's heard this, male, female, young or old. What do you want to be remembered for? Because if you're not living that life now and you're not prepared to change it then you'll get to a stage of your life where you're full of regret and that would be a real travesty there's a quote comes to mind from rob parsons who wrote the 60 minute father I believe he's based in wales just like you dan 
And uh, he said, a slower day is not coming. And I'm just thinking for many men, particularly, there usually needs to be some kind of crisis or tragedy or event that makes them recalibrate their lives. But if honestly, if we look at it, God promises tomorrow to nobody. That slower day is not coming. We need to be making decisions now. My younger brother died at age 38. I would have been six years older at the time. He had high blood pressure. It brought on a heart condition. And he was a fit sports guy, wife, two young kids, had it all together. And we didn't see that coming. I had a stroke in 2016. We didn't see that coming as well. I just turned 50. I had a black belt in kickboxing. And I was one of the fittest people you'd see for my age. But we don't know what's coming up around the corner. And we can't wait until that time where everything goes wrong. We need to be proactive about this as men and as everyone to take stock, don't we, and start to have some courageous conversations. Yeah, it's an Einstein quote. He said that adversity introduces a man to himself. Uh, and in 2017, when I finally took off my masks and looked in the mirror, the man that I found was a shadow of who I am now, despite all his external significant successes. He didn't know who he was and what he wanted to use his time here for. And, and I know that can be, it can be, it can be isolating, perhaps for some men. It can be fear-inducing for others. But the reality out there is there's lots of opportunities now for, for men to, to lean into that discomfort and take those masks off and to realize what is important for them in their lives. Uh, and you're right, it is about legacy because you don't know what's around the corner. It could certainly go to better men. Tell us a little bit about your movement, Dan, and what people might find at that site. Better hyphen men. Yeah, UK better-men.uk. Um, I offer three services. There's a one-off consultation for, for men that just want to kind of temperature check on where they're at in life. Uh, next on top of that, I have a small group coaching course. It's it's nine men for nine weeks. And uh, what's really interesting, Rob, is that these men, they start as strangers, um, kind of with some, with some reluctance to kind of share, you know, the, the, the challenges that they're experiencing in their lives at this point in time. Um, but within a, a few short weeks, when they realize that there's, there's no there's no judgment, that there's no shame, uh, and people are sharing what it is that's really going on beneath their fake smiles and, and the, 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 the social personas, uh, it's a really empowering experience. Um, so a consultation, a small group coaching course, uh, and then my one-to-one -one coaching journey, which is typically six to seven months. But also on the website, there's a range of resources for diagnostic tools to, to assess our work-life balance or lack of it. Uh, there's also an ability to, to look at while we're heading towards a midlife crisis or we're living a life of purpose as a leader of ourselves. There's, um, there's a bulletin on there, it's a monthly bulletin, which is really useful. It's kind of, I've condensed some topics of information that I think are, are really applicable to the men of today. Uh, and perhaps most importantly, there's a link on there to get my book at no cost. Commend this book to the house, as they say, uh, because it, it's a really great read. You know, from a business context as a lost leader, is people, I'm just asking people to cover the postage, which is three pounds. But the messages I'm getting um, on, on email and on LinkedIn and other media platforms is that people are reading this book and it's really resonating. It's kind of captured how a lot of, middle-aged middle-class men are feeling about the lives that they're living uh, with a recognition that something needs to change uh, and the answers are i fundamentally believe are in that book well i'm so impressed that you're calling it out in telling the world look this is a problem somebody's got to start talking about it we can't just keep pretending that we're going to go the way we go and everything's going to be okay with the world. i generally don't feel that's true i i would have the, a father of two a daughter and a girl now i would I would hate to think that I would have fathered them with with the insecurities and the the uncertainties that I'd had in, in my former life before. I kind of life invited me to to take stock of who I was and where I was heading. Uh, now, you know, for me, every night when I put my daughter to bed, uh, I'm cultivating her self awareness. She'll be six in a couple of weeks. You know, what what was the what was the best part of your day? What did you learn today? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? You know, just getting her to really lean into what it feels like to be Sophia Stanley, nearly age six in her current life. Uh, my my little boy 
cultivating that energy he has, taking him out into the outdoors, uh, only taking my phone for photos, not to check in my email when he's running around or taking him in the park. You know, I, I, I love being a father. And for me, I see it as a real responsibility to, to parent my children in a way that they feel able to be themselves in a world which encourages diversity, but so many people are afraid to be themselves. Amen to that. Dan Stanley, that's been a brilliant conversation. We really appreciate your candor and your insights today. Thank you. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.